This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Tiffany Sullivan, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Physician Services for New York Presbyterian Hospital. Tiffany, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I look forward to this conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, we're thrilled to have you on the line, too, because I know healthcare is such a dynamic field, and especially thinking about where physicians are right now and, and um, what's really going to be important in the future. There's just a lot of moving parts. So I'm excited for our conversation as well. But before we dive in, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Oh, sure. I joined New York Presbyterian about two and a half years ago um, to take on the role of being Vice President Chief Operating Officer for Physician Services. And my responsibilities include um, the ambulatory network for NYP, so our medical groups, as, long, as well as our ambulatory care networks, um, where we provide primary and specialty care services across um, Manhattan and the boroughs. And so it's a great opportunity for us to really consider how we optimize and standardize care for our patients um, that we serve. In addition, I'm responsible for community and population health. Um, and I don't think that you can separate the ambulatory network from the important work that occurs in community and population health. So I'm very excited um, to be in this role and to work with the folks that I get to work with every day. That's amazing to hear. And I really love that philosophy of baking in the community care and population health within the larger organization and really taking care of the um, patients and the communities you serve. So with that in mind, what are some of the opportunities you see for growth and development in the future? And what are the headwinds that you have your eye on right now? You know, it's interesting as we, you know, speak to our patients through our family advisory council or comments that they make to us in the practice or even in our patient engagement survey. Um, this blending of, you know, retail, technology, healthcare, our patients come in with expectations that, you know, we can do the same thing that, for example, some, someone like Sephora can do, right? Um, and so what does that mean in terms of how we interact and care for patients? How do we send reminders? Um, given all the regulations that surround us in the ambulatory practice environment that don't extend to like a Sephora or your favorite department store. And so meeting the needs of the patients in, in terms of being able to access a portal product that makes sense for them, that's useful for them, that's helpful for them. Um, so really understanding as we do more and more in the, in the realm of healthcare and technology, how do we make sure that we're delivering a product that's beneficial for patients? And sometimes we get that wrong. Um, sometimes we deliver a product that matters for us, but is really not useful to our patients. And so that, that's one thing that we're taking a look at in our organization. What is, what is a digital platform that really connects with patients? I also think about, you know, as we are still coming out of COVID, you know, during the times of COVID, we had a number of, of people who left the city, who left the Northeast altogether and moved, um, you know, further south. And, you know, I guess we call them the snowbirds but they wanted to maintain their relationship with our physicians. And so I think as, as a country, as this idea of, you know, interstate um, or intrastate healthcare starts to materialize and be something that our populations want even more, what are, how do we look at licensure? How do we look at the ability to certify our physicians across multiple states? Our patients want the care they want. They want to Maine with their primary care physician via telehealth, whether they live in Florida or New York. So how do we 
as an organization, even through health policy, address the needs that the patients are driving. And so I think a lot of times in the work that we do, the patients drive the change. The people who are receiving services really force us and drive us to look at things a little bit differently. I love that. And really having that patient-centric approach to deciding what priorities you're looking at really closely and how to build an organization and healthcare services that match their needs is so, so important. And it's interesting bringing up the um, interstate connections between healthcare providers. From your perspective, is there much energy or, or movement around doing more of that on, uh, on the regulatory side of things, whether it's at the state or, or, or federal level? Uh, what's your sense of where things are headed? I, I know, as you mentioned, so many people, whether it's physicians or healthcare and health system leadership, are, are looking at that and having a close eye on, uh, you know, where I guess the rules and regulations are headed. You know, I think it's a wide open opportunity. I am not aware of any major national review of this opportunity. And so it may exist. I just may not be aware of it. What we are doing is very localized and case by case. And so, you know, we're doing things like looking at a panel. Um, and if you have enough patience to justify, then we're working on, you know, that licensure in one or more states um, to, to help a physician be able to maintain their connection to patients. But I think as we continue to think about healthcare, how people move about the country, um, how folks have built relationships with providers over years, does that just go away because now you live in a different state? Or what are our, what are our opportunities? How are we thinking about this as a society? Um, one, of the, one of the pluses, one of the pros of, of living in the United States of America is that, you know, we have a vast country that you can move around in without having to, you know, reapply for citizenship right from state to state. And so people take advantage of that. We have these shifts in demographics quite a bit, but in healthcare, we are, we're bound. So are there opportunities? What does that look like? Is there a national license? I, I think there's so many questions to explore here. Absolutely. That's a really great point and interesting to hear how you're kind of navigating that within the system and the rules we have currently for physicians who may have patients that, you know, like you said, moved on to Florida for part of the year or whatnot. So that's fascinating. And overall, you know, when you think about growth and development and adding value to uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital, what does that look like for you? And how do you see value changing and evolving over time? You know, I'm, I'm going to always lead with growth and value. I'm going to always lead with quality. Um, you know, it is, it is our goal at every turn to, to make sure that we're not just growing in terms of the number of patients that we serve, but we're providing high quality care, be that how we help patients manage chronic conditions, how we help patients navigate all of these um, steps through the process. It's important for us to really understand what that means in terms of growth and quality and the value that we bring to the patients we serve. And so, yes, we certainly want, we want to be number one in New York, but we also want to be number one mostly in quality, not just the volume. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about and implementing across our practices, what, what are our quality metrics? What are the goals we're trying to accomplish with our patients? How do we partner with our patients in terms of their chronic disease management? How do we help our patients stay healthy in the ambulatory setting? And God forbid, but if they should have an ED or hospital stay, then how do we help them navigate the after, right? So we want to make sure that we're not 
quote unquote, discharging patients. That seems like it's a stop, right? We're done. We're never done with the patients we serve. So how do we help patients transition and how do we help them navigate um, all, all of the, you know, different offices, visits, appointments, et cetera. It can be daunting. Um, and so I think for me, when I think about growth and value, I think first of quality and care transitions and being in partnership with our patients. And I think they respond well to that. Um, and so we meet the patients where they are in terms of what they're, you know, ready to hear, listen, and do with us. And, and sometimes that's just as, as simple as they're willing to include more healthy fruits and vegetables in their diet. That's where we are. And so we start there and we progressively move through. But keeping an eye on that, having that as a goal for ourselves, I think is, is where my focus is on quality, growth, and value. That's fantastic to hear. And I can imagine it, it takes a lot of effort in, in connection within your organization and within your team to make sure that everybody has an understanding of that value and really can live that out with the care they're providing to patients, as well as the new ideas and innovations they're thinking of to be more connected to the community. And I love those examples you provided as well. It's, um, I think for me, it's the most fulfilling work we do. Yes, we have to grow our network. Yes, we have to do so many other things. But this this piece is one of those absolute delightful things that we we get to to do in healthcare. Um, working together, not being seen as you know these lofty, unapproachable physician and clinical services, but as a partner in in the care um, that not only we're providing but all the care that you're receiving. A patient should be centered, and we should all be working together on the back end to make sure that we help successfully navigate. So I, this is the work that really stirs my soul and, you know, makes me feel good about everything that we, we go through in healthcare to be able to serve patients. When you, when you see the light come on, when you see the success, when you see a patient light up because they've made a measurable change, there's no better feeling for me. Absolutely. That's amazing to hear and, and definitely very much drives your passion, it sounds like, um, with what you're doing in the healthcare space. Now, I know there's a lot that has been challenging from the last few years, whether it's, you know, the clinicians that have worked really hard and, and potentially um, have some burnout or, or those who, you know, need additional investment in um, growing and developing even when, you know, finances are challenging across the board. But from your perspective, what do you see as being one risk or investment that is still worth making right now as resources are scarce or more scarce than they have been in the past? I, I do think that the risk worth um, investing in or worth taking is investing in what I call these support services, right? These wraparound services for patients, services that we don't necessarily get to bill and collect for, but that help us drive a healthier patient population. And we just talked a little bit about that in terms of social work or care management or even community health workers, right? How do we connect with our patients in the communities exactly where they live, where they are? How do we work with community-based organizations to build strong partnerships? How do we become embedded? How do we make sure that we don't only consider healthcare as what happens in an ambulatory practice or in the ED or in our hospitals or our suites and, and ORs, but healthcare, 80% of, of, of how a patient's health is impacted is outside the sphere of clinical care. So how do we partner with those organizations? How do we create environments where 
we are at the table, not that we are the, the, the folks who are doing something to the community, but we're doing work with the community. And I think that is a risk and a, a cost worth investing in because it, we are talking about long-term, we're talking about longitudinal impacts on care. Um, and, and I think for systems like mine, New York Presbyterian, we are on the way. Um, I think we have made some very strong investments in community and community-based partnerships, and we're going to continue to do that. That's outstanding to hear. And, you know, when you talk through why these services and these uh, support services are so important with the broader leadership team, how do you message that and communicate that in a way um, that is really effective to, you know, show why resources are so important to be put uh, towards those support services? Uh, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Like it's, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I always think in terms of, and this started for me in South Carolina, which is, you know, not one of the states where anyone would consider it a wealthy state. And we had to figure out how do we meet patients in the right setting before something like hypertension or diabetes develops into an unmanageable state. And so we really had to work with communities to understand that proposition and what really mattered to them in that journey. And the question that you asked about convincing an organization that while we can't bill and collect for it, this is the right thing to do if we're calling ourselves a healthcare organization. And so how do we look at our bottom line? Um, how do we understand you know, our investment in, in this work that really is the work of population health? And I think as organizations mature, I think as we have our community health needs assessment and we understand how, you know, those access concerns, um, the full span of, of what healthcare means to a patient, I think as we understand those with the CHNA, with voices from the community, our organizations are really starting to, to wake up more and more to the understanding that I'm going to see this patient, right? This patient is, is in my sphere. So do we see them when, you know, they're in a state that is, um, you know, tertiary with diabetes where, you know, we have to wrap a lot of services later on down the road, or do we help them manage maybe at the initial diagnosis, or even let's take a step back to pre-diabetes. Do we manage the patient then in, instead of waiting for something to progress to, you know, a, a more intense state of being? And so I think making that case to our health system, it is the right thing to do to make sure that we are providing the type of care in the ambulatory setting that helps patients not only identify and, and we diagnose, you know, their concerns and we work with them to, to, to helpfully slow or even stop the progression of, of a disease to the next state, but that's the right thing to do for a patient. That's the right thing to do for a human being. And so how do we fund it? So the first thing, the first nugget we cracked was, this is the right thing to do. Everyone around the table agrees, right? It is the right thing to do. So now let's talk about where we start to intervene and what the costs are and who are the partners that are already in the space so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So are there partners in the space that we can support financially or in some other in-kind way to help them expand the work they're already doing? So, you know, that I think that's always part of the conversation that we don't have to do everything from scratch. We have wonderful partners in the spaces that exist, 
and how do we add a little bit more to the pot to help them serve more patients? And so I think we look at it from that standpoint as well. And that has been um, a successful conversation that I've had from South Carolina to Maryland to now New York, where there was already fantastic work going on. How do we do even more of helping our partners who are equipped to assist do even more in the communities they serve? Got it. Wow, that's so helpful to know and just interesting to hear how you think about that and really put the organizational commitment behind supporting patients in that way. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I just have one more question for you. How do you think about growth and development in the future? What's really important, especially considering your role and your teams in the physician services? That is such a huge question. I was looking at it and thinking through um, over the last week. You know, I, for me, um, Remote patient monitoring um, out of the ambulatory spaces, I think, is a wide open growth opportunity for us, um, whether that is helping a patient with a Bluetooth scale um, so that we know and understand if they are, you know, they, they go to bed and wake up 20 pounds heavier. We know that there's some water retention there that's going on that's unhealthy, and the scale helps us to understand to bring that patient back in immediately. Um, so what are all of the possibilities, right, with remote patient monitoring, um, with, you know, telehealth, which exploded during COVID? I remember pre-COVID, just trying to get physicians to buy in, um, physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs to buy in to telehealth. It was a hard sell um, because we couldn't quite visualize together, you know, how, we, how we're going to care for patients via screen. But COVID pushed us there. And now I think we have some more opportunities to consider even more this combination of remote patient monitoring and telehealth and, and how those tools enhance the care of patients, enhance the way that we look at practice um, and the, the offerings on the table. And so, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about these two things, but I still don't feel like we've realized our full potential. With, with remote patient monitoring and telehealth and bringing those, those pieces together to really um, help patients manage almost daily so that they can stay healthy in either in their home environment or with a quick telehealth or in-person visit to a practice before they progress to uh, a more intense state. That's a great point, Tiffany, and great insight to think through, you know, what's ahead and what really are spaces where we can continue to eliminate friction in the healthcare system. Thank you so much for joining us on the Becker's Healthcare podcast today. I really appreciate you being here and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun to do and I'm really always happy to think through with you and others on, on where we're going in the future. It almost is, it's almost like watching the Jetsons, right? <laughs> you know, and saying like, we have half of that stuff now. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what our predictions are and, and how they bear out in the future. So thank you for the time.